Due to the graphic language and nature of this film, listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Home Class Movie Chat, the place to get into all things movies. We'll leave no genre untouched, from romance to horror, adventure to comedy, and everything in between. We'll cover the good, the great, the bad, and the can I please get the last two hours of my life back ones you really wish that you could forget. So grab your popcorn and soda, sit back, and relax. It's time for the Home Class Movie Chat with Cat and Paul. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Home Class Movie Chat. I'm your host, Paul, and as usual, my co-host and wife, Kat. Hey, everybody. Well, what movie are we going to be doing today? We are doing actually one of the first horror movies that you ever got me to watch because I am not a horror fan by any stretch, and that is The Exorcist. Yeah, she's not a horror fan, people. Not at Rightly all. regarded as it was is one of the most controversial movies ever made, and especially at the time of its release, widely regarded as the most horrifying movie of all time. Yeah, it really was. I mean, there was a lot of people that were having problems. Yeah, there was a lot of people that were having problems with this movie as far as what they were experiencing when they were watching this movie. I think it was because it was so very close, very close to um, human nature, something that we're not really sure of we don't have a real grasp of. Um, I think it touched on a lot of subjects where people found very taboo and very um, uncomfortable to deal with. And I think a lot of that harked back to um, a lot of the the language that um, Linda Blair had to spew out when she was going through this whole scenario of being possessed. Um, And it was also the very controversial thing as far as the Catholic Church. I think that was was another thing honestly more controversial for catholics yes or horrifying for catholics because i honestly don't see what the big issue was it was not terrifying to me i mean yes it was horrific and there was definitely some really intense moments and things but i honestly couldn't understand why people were boycotting it and saying that it was this horrible terrifying thing because it just honestly wasn't to me but i think it also i think that actually helped the movie because if you've got a movie that they say is they're being boycotted and things like that, it makes you more interested to go and oh, see yeah. it. Oh, yeah. It, it totally could have been a publicity stunt just to get people to go see the movie. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've got I've got one of the most controversial um, movies ever released as far as a Christmas movie. And it's not a Christmas movie by any stretch. It's called Silent Night, Deadly Night. And it was actually um, banned in a lot of countries throughout the world. I was lucky enough to get my hands on part one and part two. Um, because it deals with the you know Santa Claus and the, the the wonderful you know things of Christmas, but it's essentially just a slasher movie centered around Father Christmas. Yeah, I wouldn't Santa. say you were fortunate to get your hands on that. Well, I'm fortunate because it's it's it was banned so readily throughout the world. So you know, so this movie, if someone says, "Oh, this was the most controversial," and we we boycotted it and picketed, I'm going to go and see it because what is this? What is the draw card to this? Yeah, Why, what's the big deal? I, what's the big deal? I've got to see this. So this was a, a 1973 uh, American supernatural horror film. 
It was directed by William Freakin and produced and written for screen by William Peter Bloody. And it was based on the 1971 novel of the same name by Bloody. It's the first movie in the uh, Exorcist film series. There, there was three, actually. Oh. Yeah. There was the Exorcist, Exorcist 2, The Heretic, and Exorcist 3, which was revisiting a lot of what happened in number one. And follows the demonic possession of 12-year-old Reagan and her mother's attempt to rescue her through an exorcism conducted by two Catholic priests. It was released on... <laughs> this may be some controversy. It was released on December 26th, 1973. The day oh, interesting. Christmas. I didn't know that. It goes, the runtime's 121 minutes. Now, this, is, this just shows you how much good publicity is, right? So the budget was $12 million. The box office, $441.3 million. Oh, wow. So when people say that this was, the controversy around this movie was bad, uh, no, it wasn't. It was wonderful because it it made it a three times box blockbuster. Well, nobody, you, nothing makes you want to see a movie like everybody telling you you shouldn't see it. Oh, exactly. It was released in 24 theaters in the United States and Canada in late December. Despite mixed critical reviews, audiences flocked to, flocked to it, waiting in long lines during winter weather and many <laughs> doing more than once. Some, view, some viewers suffered adverse physical reactions fainting or vomiting to scenes in which the protagonist undergoes a realistic cerebral angiogram and later violently, I'm sorry, I have to say this, violently masturbates with a crucifix. Yeah. Heart attacks that was and, a pretty intense scene. Heart attacks and miscarriages were reported and Psychiatric Journal published a paper on cinematic, cinematic neuroses triggered by the film see that's the thing is i honestly don't believe a lot of that actually happened i think that was all made up hype yeah i really don't believe people had all those kinds of reactions to this film i just don't believe it i found it interesting on reading this uh, about it many children were allowed to see the film leading to the change that the mpaa rating board had accommodated warner brothers by giving them film an r rating instead of an x rating they thought it deserved. In order to ensure its commercial success, several cities attempted to ban it outright or prevent children from attending. I'm sorry. Mm. I've seen this movie more than once. I've seen it many, many times. And I'm sorry. I would not allow my child at a certain age to see this, this movie. Then again, I'm, I, I don't know. I, I, I try to be a very um, uh, responsible parent. But if I had a 10-year-old, I wouldn't be taking it to The Exorcist. Okay, I can appreciate that. But on the flip side, at 10 years old, you were allowing your son to play GTA, which in my mind is actually a heck of a lot worse than this movie. Yeah, I know. And that's why I guess I'm a hypocrite because <laughs> I would be sitting there saying he couldn't see The Exorcist at age 10, but he could go and shoot hookers on GTA. Yeah, exactly. I understand that. But then again, if I was back in the 70s and I had a 10-year-old, 9, 8-year-old child um, and I was going to see The Exorcist, I've got you know parents and, and in-laws that might be able to see it, might be able to look after my child and not take it to the movies because a lot of this, a lot of the movie, a lot of the stuff that happens in this movie is incredibly um, graphic. It is. It is. Yeah. Not arguing that at all. And I don't think it is necessarily appropriate for kids. Yeah. I think an R rating is absolutely appropriate for this. Now, in, in saying that, there in when you get the DVD, now I I've never I've never watched done this on any really on any other movie. Okay. The original movie, you can watch it, you know, front to back, 
with the soundtrack and with the with the actors and everything, that's fine. When you get the DVD, you can also do the director's commentary. And if you listen to the director's commentary, it is actually really, really interesting to do. Yeah. I've I've watched this movie several times with listening to um Blatty talk about um no, freaking. freaking, sorry, freaking. Um listening to freaking go through scene by scene and discuss and talk about the actual scene setups, how it was, where, where they were. And there was one scene which we'll get to where Reagan is basically just completely taken over by this demonic possession. And Freakin says, you know, in this scene, it comes down to her complete and utter decimation and destruction of body and mind. This is what it looks like. But this is what it sounds like. And he stops talking and the actual soundtrack comes up. Yeah. And it is so impactful to see that scene with him saying, this is what it looks like, but this is what it sounds like. And I'm going to shut the hell up right now and let you just yeah. it. And it's really, really interesting. And I, as I said, I have watched this movie many times with and without the um, director's commentary. But I will say, I love the director's commentary. So I've never can, seen it with the director's commentary. That actually really good. Would be an interesting experience. It is really, really good, and it doesn't detract anything from the movie. It, I, it, my, my feeling is it gives a little bit of added extra into the movie. Yeah, it adds it, another it, dimension. Yeah, because you you get to hear what he was thinking, how the shots were set up, where he was filming, and you know just explaining what was going on. So as we go through, you know, it was I loved it, and I and as I said, this is one of my not my most favorite movie. It is one of my favorite movies. I wouldn't say it's my top you know top one um but this is by far i think it's, it's an outstanding movie so in the beginning of the movie um lancaster Merrin, a veteran catholic priest is on an archaeological dig in an ancient city of hatra in iraq alerted by colleagues he finds a sculpture that re- resembles pazuzu a demon of ancient origins with those hist- with whose history Merrin is familiar soon after uh, soon after Merrin encounters a statue towering over him in the image of Pazuzu, an omen warning him of a looming confrontation. This was an, an outstanding start to the movie. Yes, agreed. Because in the archaeological dig, they're, they're digging up some small witnesses. As it starts, this little boy is running through the archaeological dig to try and find Father Merrin. You don't know he's a priest. He just, he's just His name's Lancaster Merrin. And he says, oh, they found something. They found small pieces. Where is it? Oh, it's just at the bottom of this dig. So he goes there and he's, he's finding this, these you know, little trinkets and he finds this uh, ingot, like a medallion. And he says, well, this is interesting. This is not from this time period. And then he sees something that we can't see. So he gets a, a pickaxe and he pulls it towards him and he breaks it open. Or it's, first, he actually takes the, um, the like a little duster and he dusts it off and he sees what he, it's like a, a half face of a demon. And you just see that look on his face like, oh, crap. And he breaks it apart and he sees that there is this demon. So he decides that, okay, I'm going to go, I have to go and find where this, this thing is. Through, you know, walking through the city and you see different parts of the city and you see this poor elderly woman in a horse carriage that's the first minor jump scare in this movie that she comes flying past on a blind corner that he's walking. You see him stand in front of a statue which is of Pazuzu that he's standing there with one arm and it's basically showing you um it's the beginning of it's good versus evil he's standing in front of his evil foe in the um director's commentary um Freakin says that by doing this he's basically unleashing the dogs of war and if you if you remember that this scene 
where he gets to the to the site and these people these guards run at at him with guns because they're protective of this area when he goes up and stands in front of pazuzu as if to say okay i'm going to be the one you're going to be battling against there's some dogs that are fighting each other and and barking and, and clawing at each other so it's basically symbolic that this is the demon that I'm going to be fighting, and this demon is able to unleash the dogs of war and create chaos and havoc within um, this whole scope of what he's going to do. So he doesn't he he knows exactly who he's going to be coming up against because when he finds that little ingot, he says it's the it, it's a different time period. He there's something that that um, relates to what's going to happen down the track. Yep, interesting. But, so meanwhile, in Georgetown, actress Chris McNeil is living on location with her 12-year-old daughter, Reagan. She is starring in a film directed by her friend and associate, Bert Dennings. So this is actually a really nice opening scene also because you see a really nice um, landscape of, of Georgetown. You said you lived in there. Yeah, you? I lived in Georgetown for about 10 months. It was beautiful. I, and, I, I, and it turns out that I lived not that far from where this was filmed. And I always say that if I go to Georgetown, I am definitely going to go and visit the Exorcist stairs. Of course you are. I have to have a photograph on the Exorcist stairs. I'll actually, I'll literally sit on the bottom of the steps. Yep. Um, and have a photograph taken because I need to have a photograph there. And it's funny enough, if you are able to contact um, uh, Linda Blair, uh -huh. she, she sometimes signs things. She'll actually sign the stairs for you. Really? Yeah. You can take a photograph and actually send it to her and she'll actually sign the stairs. And send oh, it no kidding. Her. Yeah. But you've also got to make a donation to her Animal Fund Foundation. Oh, so. totally. Yeah. So I'd, I'd love worth it. I'd love her to do that for me. That I'd get, I'd send, say, send a donation to her and say, "Listen, sign this." Oh heck yeah! <laughs> and I'll make a donation to your foundation. Oh heck yeah! <laughs> so the, it's really nice uh, setup of of what's going on. So Chris comes home from from a hard day on the set, and um, Reagan's been basically out with the nanny, or I guess the housekeeper um sharon and she tells her mum about what's been going on that she was saw a man in in the uh, park and there was a a horse there and she got to ride the horse and you know she was saying oh mum, why can't we get a horse and she's like well we can't get a horse in while we're in georgetown you know you have to wait till we get home and yeah like, what are we going to do put it in the bathroom yeah so <laughs> she's like when can i have one and uh, chris is like when we get home reagan and of course, now it sets up the scene of what's going to happen because it's a very playful scene. So Reagan grabs a biscuit from out of a little biscuit jar and runs into the into obviously into the living room. And of course, Chris runs after her and tackles her and puts her down on the ground and says, Give me, give me, give me, give me that, give me the biscuit. It sets up a very playful thing that in as the movie goes on, there's going to be another confrontation between Reagan and Chris, but in a very aggressive and um very um physically confronting scene yeah so where, it's a, just a little foreshadowing there yeah where it's not playful at all it is very very graphic and it's a very it's a it's a very destructive scene but this original scene sets up as a very playful little scene with them so during the time small oddities begin to occur around the house such as scratching from an after an attic without a source yeah now, they, uh, chris thinks it's a rat but there's no rats yeah now, when she walks upstairs, she's got the, the candle on. So she goes into Reagan's bedroom because she doesn't want Reagan to be disturbed by these noises. But looks up, you know, up into the attic and sees that, you know, the, hears this sound and goes, okay, well, I better go and investigate this. Chris is unmarried. Her father, the, the husband is somewhere. Um, he so, took off. So he took off. So Reagan's basically with her mum. So she has to assume the role of mother and father. So she has to be, 
you know, investigate all these strange, creepy noises. So it goes up into the attic and and first before she goes up in the attic, you know, she says to her um, housekeeper, uh, listen, we've got rats. And he's like, no, no, you don't. And she goes, yeah, I do. We've got rats up in the, in the thing. So, you know, she hears all these strange noises. Now, when they were down in the, in the basement, because they've got a finished basement, and Reagan's been playing with a Ouija board. Now, my parents, I have joined in many seances when I was a kid growing up. I've had a Ouija board. Um, there are certain things that you've got to do to keep yourself safe with playing with a Ouija board. But it's never, it's never usually always the person that you want to contact. So say if you want to contact your dead relative, your uncle, your aunt, your cousin, whatever, you know, spirits have a, have a tendency of mimicking who we want to speak to. So let them in. So to let them in. So, and obviously, you know, you can't play a Ouija board that I know of by yourself. You should really have two people or more than one person. I've always found it fascinating that it's sold as a board game. Yeah, Mattel got their, or that was Mattel or Hasbro. One of them got their name on it and started marketing it as a toy. That's 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 a that's a head and a half your ass, really. You you're <laughs> you're you're really opening something up very very bad, you know, to to happen to you. But so Reagan's been playing with this Ouija board, and she says that there is this person that she speaks to called Captain Howdy, and of course Chris is like, oh Captain Howdy, and she's like, yeah, he's really nice. She said he uh, I. I tell the questions and he tells the answers and Chris goes, well, okay. So I'll, and she goes, well, hang on, you need two people to play it. And of course the, um, the, the uh, disc that actually moves around the board flicks over to no. And she's like, Oh, you really don't want me to play, huh? And Reagan's like, well, no, I don't, I, it's not me that doesn't want you to play. It's Captain Howdy that doesn't want you to play. So we don't know really what's going on at this stage, except there's this really strange thing going on. And she's been, she's mucking around with this Ouija board. I don't know why, Chris would have it anywhere near where a child could get a hold of it. Well, not everybody believes in what they can do, honey. Yeah, I know. I understand that. That um, being said, I was never allowed near them when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, oh, no, absolutely not. I mean, I, I, as I said, I've joined in several um, seances, but that's only been under the supervision and with my mother or father. My father, complete and utter skeptic. I mean, he, he believes the sky's blue, water's wet and and dogs bark so that's fine but my mother it was very much along the other lines which was that she was open to the spiritual consciousness of what was going on within the world um and it did obviously have something to do with what happened in our house um yeah. and i'll touch on that in our next episode which we we're doing um a very famous movie but i uh, will touch that on the next episode you'll have to watch, listen to that one um but that was you know a lot of this was opened up by my mum as far as what went with what we were going through. So after playing with a Ouija board and contacting a supposedly imaginary friend whom she calls Captain Howdy, Reagan begins to act strangely using obscene language and exhibiting abnormal strength. Well, they've sort of glossed over a lot of this stuff that's going on because originally what was happening is that Reagan was, was starting to manifest a lot of um, strange situations like she went to a psychiatrist well she didn't go to a psychiatrist she went to a doctor and the doctor was saying no i think it's just nerves that's that's yeah. all it really was and yeah. they she prescribed they she was prescribed ritalin now apparently ritalin was not the best thing to be described uh, be prescribed for children i think there was something that was was that happened with ritalin there's a lot of children that were suffering with that 
Well, no, because they still pre prescribe it for ADHD. Oh, okay. So, but back then in the seventies, it seemed to be they were prescribing Ritalin for everything, including the common cold. Yeah, seemed. yeah. So they they were doing some tests on Reagan, and Reagan was, um, for instance, there was um, there was a vibration test. So he, the doctor um, hit a piece of steel onto himself, and it vibrated, and he put it against Reagan's arm and said, "You know, do you feel that?" And she just like looks at him like really angry, and like I don't I don't feel anything, you know, and was like, you know, trying to take her temperature and she was take they were taking blood from her. So I'm trying to work out why she suddenly went from a normal, happy go lucky 12 year old. And she really has just her um, personality has completely changed. She's just off with the pixies. And at one stage there's a nurse. I'm surprised they didn't just say it was hormones. Yeah. Well, it, they could have said that, but obviously they didn't. A lot of kids do that. <laughs> Yeah. Now, spoiler alert, or not spoiler alert, just a warning, there is going to be some graphic language in this episode because a lot of the stuff that Reagan says we have to Well, there, tell you the, about. The, the reason the movie has an R rating is because of Reagan's language. Yeah. And Linda Blair apparently was very um, embarrassed about saying this, but it was more impactful that she had to say it. So yeah. um, I think it actually works really well. It wasn't just swearing for the for the sake of swearing. No, it actually was part of the character and moved the story forward. Yeah. So um, Reagan's having all these tests and the doctor comes in and says to um, Chris, well, you know, we think that it might be, you know, uh, something to go on with the, with the brain, the temporal lobe, but, you know, um, we're just going to prescribe Ritalin and see how it goes. And of course, then Chris goes, well, you know, what about the, the massive mood swings or the lying that she's talking about? And the doctor says, well, what sort of lying? Now, in the previous scene, you know, Reagan was saying that her bed was shaking. And then Chris goes into her room one night and the bed was literally thumping up and down. And she was she jumped up on the bed. Yeah. But she was saying um, in this scene, oh, well, what you know about the, uh, the lies? And she and he goes, what about the lies? And she says, well, about her bed shaking and stuff like that. And he goes, well, you know, I, I think the amount of language that we heard from her um, shows that, you know, she's got a very developed vocabulary. And of course, uh, Chris goes, well, what do you mean that? And she goes, he said, well, while we were examining her, she was very colorful of what she was saying. And Chris is really taken aback by this and says, well, what did, what did she say? Specifically, what did, what did she and say? And the guy wouldn't say it because he was embarrassed. Yeah, because he was like, I, I really don't. And he's like, he says, like, I really don't want to say. And she goes, well, no, 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 tell me. And he goes, well, when we're examining her, he, she said to me to keep my fingers away from her goddamn cunt. And you just, you can see Chris just sink into the chair like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, what the hell? How did, she doesn't swear like that, but yeah, she does. Which was interesting because the doctor was nowhere near examining that part of her body either. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But she was basically, you know, basically warning yeah. the doctor, get your fingers away from my, you know what? So, and she was exhibiting abnormal strength. Additionally, there is a poltergeist like activity in a home at nighttime. So yeah. we got a little bit of this with the noises in the attic and stuff like that, because Chris goes up to find if there was rats, sees there's no rats in the traps. And then of course we find that it was actually um, a gas pipe that was actually um, dislodged. So Chris was walking through there with a candle and as she goes past where the gas is it ignites and of course we realize that that was just a, a gas problem um so chris hosts a party that night during which reagan comes downstairs to announce now 
before I say what she was, uh, what she announces, there was an a an astronaut that was actually at the at the party, and he was going to be going up on one of the Apollo missions. So when I first watched this movie, I couldn't work out what this what this meant. But I, after watching this movie, I realized this, and after reading about it, I know what it was. So she comes down, comes downstairs, and tells one of the guests, an astronaut, that he will die up there, and then urinates on the floor. So. You know, he's talking about his upcoming mission. And so when she walked, first walked down the season before I really understood this movie, when she walks down and she looks at him and goes, you're going to die up there and then urinates, I was thinking, oh, so she's already turning into, she's already being possessed. So does that mean that she's saying that she's going to die upstairs? Like, is that, you know, you're going to die up there. Obviously, she's telling everyone that I'm, in trouble, something's taken over me, and I'm going to be dying up there. But of course, it was ended up to be the astronaut. About the astronaut. Yeah, if he goes up into space, you're going to die up there. Yeah. Um, now, when she does urinate on the floor, she does tell everyone that you know, um, I'm sorry, Reagan's been sick, and there was a priest that was actually playing the piano, and everyone's around the piano playing and having a great time, a bit of a sing song. Um, and so Chris, you know, apologizes profusely about the fact that I'm I'm so sorry she's been sick takes her upstairs and um, puts her into the bath and tries and obviously cleans your daughter up and, and basically says, you know, what made you say that Reagan's off with the, off with the fairies. Like she's just off somewhere. Yeah. The next scene he, she puts her to bed and of course Reagan does say, mother, what's wrong with me? And she says, it's, it's what the doctor said. It's nerves. And that's all. You just take your medication. You'll be fine. Reagan, uh, Chris goes to go downstairs and gets down to almost the bottom part of the of the stairs and her housekeeper is cleaning the urine off the floor because everyone's gone home and says, you know, is it coming out? And she says, yes, I, I think so. And then uh, Chris hears there's banging and, and stuff going on in, in Reagan's room. She runs upstairs as she runs past a, a light. There's a light that's flickering on the wall and she opens up the door and Chris turns on the light and just has this gasp of, oh, what the hell's going on? Reagan's bed is banging and and jumping up and down. So Chris jumps on the bed. Yeah, it's levitating about a foot off the floor and then crashing down. Yeah. Now you said to me, and I and I thoroughly agree, why wouldn't you just pull your daughter off the goddamn bed? Yeah. Why jump on the bed? Jumping on it with her. Yeah, what's it gonna do if you jump on there? You're both gonna try and hold it down. This thing's bouncing all over the place. Yeah, I would just have gotten the kid off. Yeah, I would have I would have just said, Reagan, and I grabbed her off the bed and both stand there and watch the bed jumping up and down. Yeah. And then I would have put a, you know, I, I'm only renting this house. I'm out of here tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but, but obviously, as we know, this thing's going to would have followed her because followed it's Reagan me. that's doing this. Um, but this thing's bouncing up and down. So, you know, um, so Chris consults a number of physicians, putting Reagan through a battery of diagnostic, diagnostic tests. And at that point, didn't they want to put her in an asylum? Well, no, the doctors find nothing so, uh, physically wrong with her. So... Uh, uh, sorry, psychologically wrong with her. So they're saying um, about it, and she, and of course Chris is like, "Well, you are. I am not going to put my um, daughter into a nut house." Yeah. Well, I don't know because they don't know what's going on. They, they've, right. and this is where, I, as you just said, you know, they because they don't know what's wrong with her. What I mean, what could they point it to? The battery of tests that they go through, and um, as I was saying in the original part of it. Um, there is the, uh, what was the one that we were saying? The cerebral, uh, sorry, the c- cerebral angio- angiography. Mm-hmm. So when he did, when um, freaking did this, this whole thing, the cerebral angiography was so close to the real thing 
that for many, many years, and I don't know whether they still do it now, but for many, many years, this scene was used as a tool by doctors learning, learning to do a cerebral angiography. Interesting. Because it was, because it was so close to the, what you would actually experience um, because they, they basically get her to lay on, on, on a bed and they put her, um, they, they obviously they clean her neck up and they put a little um, hole into her neck and it's basically to feed, like take the blood out so they can actually start taking photographs of her brain. But it is so, such a very, uh, it's a very, realistic very, and graphic very, very, very realistic, very graphic. And it does make you squirm a little bit when you're doing it. Now, this poor kid, she has to have this without anesthetic. So I'm telling you, if you had, to, if any adult had to have this done, they'd probably be freaking out going, I'm not having this done at all. But there's this kid at 12 going through this thing where, you know, she's got a pinprick hole in her neck and then they put in another line to then feed it through to actually have photographs of your brain taken. It's, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's quite graphic, but it's graphic in the sense that actually it, there's not one part of this movie that I found that you sit there and go, come on, can we keep this movie going? There's, there's nothing that it, that slows it down to the point you sit there and go, really? Do we really need this? We can actually just keep this speeding through. That being it's said, the pacing of the movie is great. I well, I don't completely agree with you on that. Okay. Um, it, there's nothing that you're sitting there saying, "Oh, come on already," but I did find that it seemed to take a long time to really get going. I think the build-up is a little bit that way, but it does it paces itself enough to actually keep it. I mean, going, it was still interesting, interested. but I felt like it, the pace could have been a little better. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I guess they have to build up to it. They can't go from zero to and we're off again it's, yeah. they've got to they've got to do a slow burn on this movie to show you what she went through well no and that's what i'm saying is it was interestingly interesting enough to keep me engaged but i did feel yeah. like it took a while for it to really get going yeah i mean and and to some degree i feel like it never really completely got going yeah i mean look freaking took a lot of stuff out and in the directors the the directors cut um, the stuff that you didn't see, he put a lot of stuff back. And I think that was great because it actually filled in the gaps that we didn't see and that we didn't understand. Like when yeah. Reagan was laying on the bed um, and she was having the barrage of tests in the movie that the original movie, she, her eyes open wider, but you don't see what she's looking at. But in the director's cut freaking put in the fact that she saw a demonic um, face in front of her. No. Oh. So she actually saw something yeah. um, the same way as when Chris comes into the house and all the lights are flickering on and off as she walks past the um, the stove, cook, the stove, the cooktop. Above her, there's a demonic face looking at her in yeah. the darkness. So you do you do see little bits that actually does actually help the movie go along. But one night, and so now, okay, so we've got the situation where where Reagan is heavily sedated, okay, because she's gone through this whole situation of the barrage of tests, and they can't understand what's going on. But she's sedated from from the hospital. So one night when Chris is out, Bert Dennings, which happens to be her friend, uh, who's also the movie director of the movie that she's doing, yep. is babysitting a heavily sedated Reagan. Chris returns to hear that Dennings has well, died. Well, hold on a second. He was, yeah. okay, technically he was not babysitting her. No, he, he her stopped over. Her assistant was with Reagan. Yeah, Sharon. And, I'm sorry? Sharon. 
Sharon, but she had to run out to, I believe, the pharmacy, and this guy had popped by to see the to see Chris, but she wasn't home, and she just asked him to sit with Reagan for 20 minutes while she ran out to the pharmacy to fill the prescription. That's right. That's right. And when Chris gets back, you know, she can't find anyone because she walks into the house and the lights are flickering on and off, and she says to, um, and then Sharon pops up out through the door. And says, you know, well, didn't he tell you? And she said, who, who didn't tell me what? And she said, you know, Bert, Bert is here, was here just looking after to, you know, Reagan. Oh, I should have known better. And she said, oh, of course you should have, you know. But Chris did see there was something going on at the bottom of the steps, but didn't actually put two and two together yeah. when she got home. So then, because the steps are right outside of Reagan's room. Yeah. So then there's a knock on the door, and one of the cast members comes and, and, Chris opens the door and says, you know, I think his name was Charlie, but say it was Charlie. Hi, hi, Charlie. And he said, oh, I guess you've heard. And of course, Chris is like, heard, heard what? what? And he goes, oh, you haven't heard. Um, Bert's dead. He he's, he fell down the steps and broke his neck on, you know, when he got down the bottom of the steps. And Chris is absolutely distraught because at one stage, um, Reagan says to Chris, oh, you know, you like Mr. Dennings, you know, you can, you can have him come over for my birthday and, you know, cause you like him, you're going to marry him. And she's like, Oh, for the love of God, Reagan, I like him, but I'm not going to marry him. God. And then looking at how he acted at the party when he got completely blind, blind drunk um, and had the splurred, the, the, the blurring speech of, you know, a complete drunkard, I wouldn't be marrying that guy either. No. Um, but, you know, Reagan has this idea that, you know, they were going to get married, but of course, so, Reagan, uh, sorry, Sharon is, um, I keep saying Sharon, Chris is completely destroyed as far as his, her best friend or her friend dying. Now, in the original movie, you see Ray, uh, you see um, Chris look towards Sharon in a panicked state, and then the movie cuts to Reagan um, being hypnotized. What we don't see, and in this version we do, is Reagan doing a backward spider walk down the steps and vomiting oh, blood on the so bottom creepy. steps? Yeah. Now there is a woman that did do that scene. It wasn't CGI'd. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was all done by a a um, contortionist. A, a contortionist. And because she was upside down, uh, they didn't need to superimpose. Yeah, they had the hair. The, she was wearing a wig, and the hair was in her face. Yeah. So you didn't need to need to superimpose Linda Blair's face. But she actually did spider walk down the stairs. Now, she didn't go down as fast as Reagan as it, it shows you. So what she did is what Freakin did is that he made her go down step one step at a time and then sped the movie up yeah. to make it look like she was running down the stairs. Um, and the vomiting of the blood was that she actually had a blood pack in her mouth with um, that when you when you bite down on it, it vomit. Yeah. It, you know, obviously, it, there's blood. Um, and that's what made it look that way. So it was actually a real person going down the steps. Wow. But he just sped it up going down the steps so it looked like. But you see Reagan look towards the steps and go, oh, my God. Now, I don't care what any doctors in the world would say. Do you think that's psychological or do you think there is something really wrong with this girl? I think there's something wrong going on here. Yeah, it's not psychological. So if you see your daughter walking down the steps backwards and vomits blood on the bottom of the steps... Yeah, there is something seriously yeah, wrong with this There's something freaky going on. Yeah, something really, really freaky going on with this girl. Um, although it's assumed to have been an accident while, while given Burke's history of heavy drinking, his death is investigated by Lieutenant William Kinderman. Kinderman interviews Chris. He also consults psychiatrist Father Damien Karras, a Jesuit priest struggling with his face. Uh, with his face? With his faith. 
Okay, now I, I that one I liked the guy who played the inspector and and there were several things I liked about what he did. Yeah. But I found it just a little weird and a little creepy that he kept trying to invite the people he's interviewing to go to the movies with him. I think he was just a really lonely guy because he did say that that Mrs. Um, Mrs. Kinnaman doesn't like horror movies or doesn't like no, movies, and like and movies. I get and I get that, but it was so I guess, weird. I guess it's it's someone to go because as he said to Father Karras, you know, Father, do you do you like do you like to go to the movies very much? And he goes because I like to go to the movies and see it and then really critique. And it's basically what we're doing on this podcast. Yeah. We're watching a movie and then critiquing the movie at the end of it. You know, to really get into the movie to talk about it to to see different perspectives of my opinion to your opinion so mm-hmm. in that way of thinking i think inspector kinnaman really or kinderman really wants to have someone that he can go to the movies with and really talk about it and really get involved in the movie because it, it, it is and i get that but you don't do it with someone that you're interviewing in a murder no i mean i think it's also i think it's also a lot of his police training as well which is maybe if he drops his guard and really relaxes around me i can basically slip in a couple of things yeah, as far as but it, it the just, murder or something i'm like sorry that. it was weird and unprofessional to me yeah. yeah okay let's just leave it at that and move on okay <laughs> um Karis's crisis of faith is is devastated by his the passing of his mother whose death he blames on him whose death he blames on himself this was sort of like disjointed because she was living, she's a Greek lady living by herself in a, uh, I'd say like a one room department in New York. She has nobody to, to, you know, take care of her or, you know, look after her as far as, you know, the day to day living. She just basically sits and listens to the radio all day. Um, and she's, she's got some health issues. She had a, a leg injury that father Karras comes over to look after, but basically says, you know, mum, you know, I could take you somewhere. You wouldn't be alone. You'd have people to talk to. And, and I understand the pride because I'm the same. I've got my own home and I don't, I'm not going to be leaving. I don't want anyone to be dragging me out of here, kicking yeah. and screaming. This is my home. So, you know, she's saying, you know, no, this is my house. I love it here. I don't want to leave, you know? Um, and father Karras is really worried about his mum because she's all by herself and she's got nobody to, to talk to. And with the radio being the only, and it's not a very safe neighborhood either. It was a really run down shit neighborhood. Um, but, you know, with her just being by herself, Father Karras is like, you know, and this is the, his, you know, he was already having um, problems with faith anyway. Yeah. I think because as he said, there's a lot of priests um, that are going through things that are more psychological and more faith based that he can actually cope with. And he's, he's the, the psychiatrist that he he's got to deal with all this. And I think it's um, a lot of the, his own personal issues. And he's, he's saying he's unfit. He needs reassignment. And, you know, one of the priests, when they, when he goes to a, uh, goes to a hotel to have a drink with him goes, you know, you're the best psychiatrist we've got. We can't afford to lose you. And he goes, well, I'm, I'm unfit. I, I really can't do this anymore. Right. And he's trying to convince him. He's almost trying to convince himself that I need reassignment. And I think this is where, when he comes in contact with Reagan and when he comes in contact with Chris, it's almost like it's a re reaffirmation of, of his faith that he, he is where he's supposed to be, but he does have that, that moment when he's actually with, as we, we go on, we'll exp- I'll explain more when he gets into the situation with Reagan, that he actually does start to look at Reagan in almost like I, this is the last soul that I've got to try and save. Yeah, you know, and it's almost yeah. like it it, re, it helps him reaffirm his his faith and that he was supposed to be where he was supposed to be. The doctors the doctors believing that Reagan's 
Reagan's mostly psychological in origin, her problems, recommended an exorcism be performed. Now, this is this is not what they go for to begin with. Because they're like they're saying, okay, so we still think she needs another um, series of tests. It'll involve another spinal spinal, and of course, Reagan, uh, Chris is like Jesus. But what had actually happened before? She was having these seizures, what they thought were seizures. Now, Linda Blair still to this day has has got back problems with this scene. So she comes home from the doctors. They take her up into her bedroom, and you know she's supposed to be laying there quite comfortably. And while they're looking at Reagan's test results, one of the um, nurses comes in and says to the doctors, you know, Chris McNeil's on the phone, there's a problem. So they race off to, to, the, you know, to Chris's house. And when they come in, Sharon meets them at the, at the, you know, at the bottom of the um, steps at the front door and says, you know, we've got a problem. And he said, well, have you, has she given the, the medication? And he goes, she said to him, um, yes, but the, the spasms are becoming more violent and runs upstairs knocks on the door and says to Chris, you know, the doctors are here. They walk in and Reagan is flailing backwards and forwards on the bed. I mean, and yeah. this is oh, where... that was so hard to watch. And this is where um, Linda Blair actually yells out the words, it's burning, stop, it's burning. And in the scene, when Freakin was was doing the, the scene, there was, uh, if, you, if you try and look at it the way you, it would be written... So think of yourself laying on a bed, but the bottom part from where your knees are, there it's there's a hole in the bed. Mm-hmm. So she's basically sitting with her legs, like at almost like a, a a ninety degree angle. Yeah. The rest of her body is on the bed. Now, there was a mechanical um, instrument at the at the back part of her bed that was going to be pushing her up and down to make her look like she's doing that. The guys got a little bit too overexcited when they were doing this scene and they actually increased the speed in which it was flailing her up and yeah. down. When you hear Reagan say, it's burning, it's burning, that's actually Linda Blair trying to tell William Freakin, I'm in trouble, I'm in pain, stop, 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 stop. Yeah. And to this day, Linda Blair still has back issues because of this scene and this movie. I would believe it having seen that. Yeah, it's a very, very, um, uh, very violent scene. And then you see her bouncing up and down on the bed um, with these massive spasms. When she comes comes down onto the bed, her eyes have completely gone white and there's like a, um, almost like a goiter in her throat that actually starts to come out. And it's this this growling that you hear of, of this demon. And of course, one of the doctors goes towards the bed as if to say, okay, enough of this, I'm going to try and figure this out. And he he gets smacked across the face, and knocks her back on the, and she knocks her back on the ground. I am back on the ground, and says, "You know, keep away. The soul is mine." Yeah. And looks at the doctor, and says, "Fuck me, fuck me." And of course, the mother, Chris, goes, "Oh, Reagan!" Like she is just absolutely, you know, just I don't know. She just doesn't know what to say. And there's Reagan trying to in, entice the guys to fuck her. And then she falls back onto the bed. Then she gets up and she starts flying around the bedroom, like on the bed. And you see her hand come across and she slaps her own face, but gives herself like three huge welts across her face. I don't remember that. Yeah. Yeah. You see the, you see the marks across her face. She slaps herself because no one slaps her. She slaps herself. I didn't fall asleep watching this, but I do not remember that part. Yeah. No, she slaps herself. Um, So then of course the doctors managed to hold her down along with help with Sharon um and of course they inject her into you know and of course they knock her out with a very very powerful sedative and they do explain to, to chris that she's going to be sleeping through the day 
through the night and most of tomorrow because she's very heavily sedated. Now, this is when she does, he does say that, you know, we think it's still a problem with the frontal lobe and that she'll need another spinal. And she's, and of course, Chris does come up with the old idea of like, well, you know, didn't you fucking see her or not? You know, she looks like she's out of her mind. And one of the doctors does say, you know, there has only been a handful of cases of split personality. Um, and she said, what about the, the, the way that she is like, you know, how physical she is. And one of the doctors does say, well, you know, you've heard the stories. A woman finds, sees her baby pinned underneath the truck. We love a truck. She lifts the, the truck's you know, wheels three feet off the ground to get the child out. Same sort of situation here. Same, mm-hmm. same, you know, uh, ex, you know, idea. It's basically to show her that the uh, enormous strength that she's got is coming from somewhere else, but they still believe that is to do with the frontal lobe, which is, we all know, is bullshit. They're, they're running out of ideas. So Chris basically is taken to her into a room full of doctors. And this is when it comes up with, does your daughter have any religious beliefs? And she said, no. And of course they said, well, what about you? No, I don't. Well, have you ever heard of exorcism? And it's basically to do with the fact, because they're watching Reagan falling apart. She's got scratches on her face. Her, yeah. her body is contorting. But she's, they're also suggesting it more as a placebo effect than an actual legitimate option thinking that's right get her to believe that they're getting rid of whatever is wrong with her then she'll be fine but it's more trying to do it as a placebo effect than as a legitimate option that's right because they did say (coughs) pardon me they did say that um for most for the most part it's a power of suggestion yeah the person that's supposedly possessed will actually um if they're convinced that they that the rabbi or the priest drives it out of their system they'll be fine yeah. So it really is the power of suggestion that actually makes it believable. But of course, we know that there is a lot of problems with um, Reagan. And I don't think that the power of suggestion is going to be that way. So um, Chris arranges a meeting with Karis, who reluctant to engage spiritually, agrees to speak with Reagan. Now, yeah, this was this is definitely not something in, in her mind, because when because um, because Chris has been walloped by reagan so she's been she um she went upstairs and this was another scene so she went upstairs to see reagan reagan's masturbating with a crucifix um very very violently there's blood everywhere Mm -hmm. and this is where i was saying that this this scene the original scene that they had with the playful backward and forward give me the, the the biscuit or the cookie um this one chris is trying to wrestle the um crucifix crucifix out of her hand because she because reagan is saying let jesus fuck you and as she's doing it she's driving it into her vagina yeah which knowing the shape and the metal the sharp edges on a crucifix i can only imagine the damage that's being done so she's really ripping into herself so chris walk runs over and grabs it out and basically says give it to me give it to me and grabs uh grabs her and of course reagan then pulls her head towards her vagina and goes lick me and then you see um, Chris's face come up and she's got all blood. And then Reagan slaps her so hard and knocks her to the ground. Across the um, room. Across the room, yeah. Sharon runs up to, to Chris. And, of course, the door then is slammed shut by a, um, a very uh, heavy um, chest of drawers, which then goes towards um, Chris. Chris manages to just get out of the way of it. But, of course, then Reagan sitting on the bed, her head comes around and looks behind her, and then you hear in um, her friend's voice, 
Do you know what she did? Your cunting daughter. Now, when I first saw heard that, I'm like, hang on a minute. That what was that? And what was that voice? It was actually supposed to be Bert Denning's voice. See, I never got that either. Yeah, it was supposed to be Bert Denning's voice because we know that what she ended up by what ha- happened is that Reagan killed Bert Denning's, broke his neck, and then threw him out of her bedroom window. Yeah. Now, what Bert Denning was doing in Reagan's bedroom, we do not know. Well, you'd like to think that he was just going in to check on her. You want to hope so, but we don't know. So we don't know whether she, whether he was going up to do something that he shouldn't be doing with Reagan or whether he was just going up to check up on her, but that's something that was not told about. Um, so, of course, she does make a, a, a meeting to go and see Father – or to meet Father Karras. He's got she's got dark sunglasses on, and you know, of course, he's not dressed in in uniform. So he walks over and says, uh, "On she's standing on a bridge, and she says, um, Chris McNeil." And she said, "Oh, please go away, because it's almost like you know, I'm a I'm a celebrity, and I don't want to do any more you know, interviews or you autographs. Know, autographs, or... just leave me the hell alone." And says, "I'm Father Karras." So they do start talking about this the situation of what would you do if so, you know someone that you knew was um a murderer would you turn them in he goes well no i wouldn't but i'd convince them to you know and then chris slips in so how do i go about getting an exorcism and you can see father Karras just stopping his tracks and he does say uh what (laughs) like uh excuse me and she goes um someone i think is possibly possessed it's my daughter can you please see her and he goes yes i can i can see her as a psychiatrist and she goes you know, the doctors send me to you. Now you're going to send me back to them. Like, please help her. So he, she does actually encourage Father Karras to come to the to the house. He does go into the bedroom, and Reagan is falling apart right now. She is she is just she is just terrifying to look at. And so he walks into her bedroom and um, <laughs> just walks up to Reagan and says, uh, and Reagan's just laying there, and she says. Um, yeah, you know, kindly undo these straps. And she and he says, "Well, if I'd let undo the straps, you know, um, you might hurt yourself, Reagan." And she goes, "Oh, I'm not Reagan." And he goes, "Oh, okay. Well, let's introduce myself. I'm Father Karras." And she goes, "And I'm the devil." Now, kindly undo the straps. And he goes, "Well, if you're the devil, why don't you make the straps disappear?" And she says, "Oh, that'd be a too vulgar display of, of power, Karras." He does say, "Well, where's Reagan?" She, she says, "Oh, in here with us." And he goes, well, if you show me Reagan, I'll undo one of these straps. And of course, she does decide to vomit what we all say is green pea soup directly at Father at um, Damien Karras and gets it in her in in his mouth and that's just over, disgusting. It's disgusting and all all over him. So he does get a chance to have his shirt washed. And Chris is downstairs and in the in the um, basement cleaning his his stuff up. And he's just sitting there looking at some some pictures that Reagan's drawn. And Chris does say, you know, <laughs> you cannot tell me that that thing upstairs is my daughter. And you, and you, you try to tell me that an exorcism would not do her any good because, and, and he's trying to, he's trying to say to her, you know, six months in the best hospital that you could find. And it's almost like, Hey, dickhead, you can't send me anywhere. The, the doctors don't want me. Psychiatrists don't want me. This, this thing upstairs is not my daughter. 
this person needs an exorcism. Now, as a, as a side it, note, one of the things that I thought was very interesting is the actor who plays Father Karras is an actual priest in real life who was brought in as a consultant on the film and talked Friedkin into letting him play the priest. Yeah. There, there's three priests in there as well. There's another one that is um, when you see uh, that's uh, Father Karras's best friend. Yeah. He's a priest. and um, An actual priest. An actual priest. And the one that tries, that is talking to him at the bar about the fact that, you know, Karras wants reassignment. He's a priest as well. Yeah. The other an two, actual priest. Yeah. The other two um, ones that you, that are not priests are the ones that, that give them the authority, or the other three, that give him the authority to do the exorcism. They're not priests and neither is Father Marin. Right. He's not. But there are three priests that actually are and that were, were brought in. Um, as um, advisors to the movie, which yeah. makes you wonder if they're, and of course the Catholic Church have always denied exorcism. So how would how would they have um, um, advisors coming if there's never been any exorcisms? Well, no, there have been documented exorcisms over the years. Just it's uh, but very the Catholic rare. Church, the, but the Catholic Church uh, all agree. It's almost like you know there is no Area Fifty One. Yeah, you know it doesn't happen. So Chris's Rangers, yeah, okay. So they, as the two come face to face, Karis and Regan test each other's wits. Although Karis is, is skeptical of the idea that anything supernatural is happening, Chris tearfully finds herself at a dead end and confides in Karis that Regan was the one who murdered Dennings and begs him to find a solution. So she does actually say that, you know, I I do believe that um, she murdered Bird, Bird Dennings. Yeah. And that was that was what we were saying is that because when Karis is being interviewed by the lieutenant, he said, "Well, what we found um, at the bottom of the steps is it's highly unlikely what happened." He said his head was found completely around, facing backwards. And Karis does say, "Well, couldn't have that couldn't that have happened in the fall?" And he said, "Yeah, it could have, but it's highly unlikely." So you know, it was basically that that Reagan attacked Dennings, broke his neck. So face backwards, then she threw him out of her bedroom window. Yeah. Which once again, we we it's finding try, trying to understand what she what he was doing in her bedroom to begin with. Yep. Um, over the next couple of days, Karis witnesses Reagan speaking backwards in different languages. She does not know, and scars spell out "Help me" appearing on her stomach, convincing him she is really possessed by a demon. This is something that I I found interesting. How um how Sharon actually saw this, like. Because okay, first of all, when she when she, when she talks backwards, because when um, Father Karras goes into her room and she's like laying there, and she goes, "It's a lovely day for an exorcism," and he says, uh, "You'd like that?" And she goes, "Intensely," and he goes, "But that wouldn't that drive you from Reagan?" And she said, "No, it would bring us, us closer." And she goes, "What you?" He goes, "What you and Reagan?" He goes, "You." She goes, uh, "You and us," and of course, he goes to sit down, and the and the the dresser drawer opens up. And he goes, did you do that? And she goes, uh-huh. And he goes, do it again. And she goes, in time. And he goes, no, 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 now. And she goes, in time. And then she speaks Latin. And, of course, this is one of the things that a a true case of exorcism or a true case, a true case of demonic possession would be studying or speaking a language you've never studied. So there were certain things that she said to Father Karras that she had no idea about, like the, the death of her, of his mother. Yeah. Um, the voice of the man that was on the subway that only Father Karras was was privy to. Yeah. Um, and then she started to speak Latin, and then she started to then 
The only thing that actually gives a little bit of, of doubt is that she, that he opens up a bottle of what he says is holy water and sprinkles it on her and she says it burns. And of course, he does say to, to Chris, this is ordinary tap water. So that doesn't doesn't sustain an exorcism. There's, there's no reason to say this is a possible exorcism case because anyone you know could say that. Yeah, burns. but why would they doubt it was holy water when it's a priest sprinkling it on them? As but as Father Kara says, you know, the, it, you know, I sprinkled this on Reagan and she acted very violently. It was I told it was holy water, but it was really tap water. It wasn't yeah. blessed. So in that situation, it does cast a little bit of doubt. Well, what is true? Is she possessed or is she not? I mean, we can all look at it at Reagan's face and go, yeah, she's not. This is not psychological. Yeah, but I would take that even a demon can become a victim of power of suggestion. Yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking maybe that is that was the case. Yeah, that wasn't a fair test. No. But when she does start to speak these strange voices, you know, and of course he does take it to um, an audiologist, and the audiologist uh, does say, yeah, it's a language, it's it's uh, English backwards. Yeah, it's not Latin, it's English. It's not Latin, it's English backwards, which is really interesting because how you could do it perfectly backwards yeah. is is quite amazing. But he does actually hear it backwards, and it's a, it's a regular language, just like what we're talking now. Yeah. So, and when she sees the, the words help me on her stomach, now, if I was Sharon, I wouldn't go anywhere freaking near that room. Yeah, I mean, I know, right? Reagan can stay. I'm, I'm resigning my, my post right now. Thank you very much, Chris, for the, for the paycheck. I've enjoyed it. Good luck with your daughter. I'm out of here. I'm going to go and maybe, maybe help the Kardashians because I'm not going to be going anywhere near your daughter. <laughs> um, but I don't know how she discovers the word help me on her stomach, but she does get Father Karras on the phone, says, I want, I want you to see this and I want Chris to see this. They go upstairs into the bedroom, in Reagan's bedroom, which is like freaking, you know, three degrees below zero in there. They've got to put on a jacket to keep warm. And Reagan's laying in the bed and she's she's asleep. And they open up her um, nightgown and on her stomach, because she is just wasting away, the word help me come appears on her stomach. So that basically does show Karis that, yeah, there is something a lot worse than what I thought. And this is where he does, um, he implores the church to help, let him help, uh, perform an exorcism, but feeling Karis is outmatched, the church calls on Marin to perform the exorcism while allowing Karis to assist. Now, this was a really great part of the movie because um, Father Karis is at Woodstock and he's writing another book after he's come back from his, his time in Iraq. And as Freakin was saying in, in the, um, in the uh, uh, commentary track, the priest runs up to Father Karras and says, Father, here's a letter for you and gives it to Father Karras uh, and, and uh, sorry, uh, Father Marin. And Father Marin basically looks at the envelope, doesn't open it and puts it in his pocket and continues yep. to walk, which means that he already knows what he's going to be doing. Yep. He knows what he's, he's he, being he called on to do. He foresaw this coming. Yeah. So he knows exactly what's coming, you know. Um, we did skip over the part of when um, Reagan was um, hypnotized, and he does. She does grab that guy's um... crotch. <laughs> yeah, called it. Yeah, that was uh, poor bugger got his uh, bait and tackles <laughs> grabbed. <laughs> That's okay. That was not central to the story. We can we can gloss over that. No, that was actually well, that was an interesting one. So um, Marin does obviously know what's going to be happening. So um, he's called to the house. And he does walk into the room, and as soon as he, as soon as he walks into the house, uh, Reagan yells from upstairs, Marin. So we know that she, that the demon knows that she's about to uh, start battling against Marin. Um, he does actually say, can you go over and get a couple of things, Damien? 
Father Karras tries to explain to uh, Father Merrin the different voices and the different manifestations that Reagan is actually, um, you know, exhibiting. But Father Merrin just basically cuts him off and says, no, 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 there's only one, you know. It's irrelevant. It's it's irrelevant. But what what she'll say to you is relevant. You can't listen to her. Yeah, because the other stuff is just trying to distract you. Yeah, and so what she'll say to you, she's trying to break you down. So yeah. personal things that you have, have have happened, you've got to put out of your mind. You cannot be, uh, you know, yeah. dragged into this 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 confrontation. You just got to do what you've got to do. Whatever she tries to, it's psychological. She's just trying to hurt us. Yeah. So the ritual ritual begins as a battle of wills with Reagan performing a series of horrific and vulgar acts. They attempt to exorcise the demon, but the spirit digs in claiming to be the devil himself. The spirit relentlessly toys with the priest and zeroes in on Karis, sensing his guilt from the passing of his mother. And this is really, it is, is a lot of guilt because he does visit his mother before she dies in, um, in, a, in, a, in a hospital. Yeah. Because, she'd fought, because obviously she'd fallen down and she was, you know, someone had found her. So, you know, she was trying to explain to her, her son, you know, why did you do this to me? Yeah. Now, oh, Karras, oh, when he visited her, she was laying in the bed and they had her restrained. They had her yeah. ha- hands tied down. It was heartbreaking. Yeah, she was in the women's section of, a, I'd say, a mental hospital. But she was okay, but she was really, for her own good, she was well, kept... she was. she had a bit of Alzheimer's, I think. Yeah. Now, I don't know. I still don't know whether she was taken back home, if she was allowed to go back home, or whether she died in the hospital. I'm still not sure of that because there was one of the priests did say that she died at home and she was found a couple of days later. Yeah, I think. So I don't know whether Father Karras actually took her home because she wanted to go back home. But anyway, Father Karras Yeah, has and got I think that's of... where a lot of the guilt came from is because if he'd left her in the hospital, she probably would have been still okay. Yeah, and, and her but brother... Was, but she was so didn't want to be there, but she really shouldn't have been living on her own anyway. No, and that's what Father Karras was trying to convince her. But she was like, "No, this is my home. I'm not going anywhere." Yeah. But, but like even, I said, I think she had some dementia going on. Yeah, but even her her brother did say, you know, if you had have been a a regular um, psychiatrist, you would be living on Park Avenue, and your mother wouldn't have to want for anything. Yeah. But because you went to the priesthood and basically have to give up all all you know worldly goods, um, we've got no money to to care for the for mum. Yeah. Um, or for my sister. So we've got to put her into a state hospital and a state hospital doesn't have um, the facilities or the staffing to help mum out. So basically yeah. it's, it's your fault. You've done this. Yeah. You know, so, so Karis has got a lot of guilt. So the demon does actually start to zero in on her, on him and says, you know, um, uh, Dimi, I'm afraid. Or um, why you do this to me, Dimi? And it's like, you know, and he's saying to this demon, you are not my mother or, you know, and of course, then she comes up with the, you know, you left your mother, you left her alone to die. And he's like, shut up, like, you know, trying to get her to shut the hell up. But this thing is psychologically attacking Damien and he is, he's running out of faith. It's hitting him right where he hurts. Yeah. He had very little faith to begin with. He's basically almost at zero. He's got no, it breaks him. Yeah. It does it when you remember it does psychologically break him to the point where Marin actually kicks him out of the room. Yeah, he sends him out, yeah. And says, just get out. I can't, we can't do this anymore. You and know, then because, Marin ends up having a heart attack. Because at one stage, uh, Damien, because they do have a, um, a bit of a, uh, like, you know, a timeout where they can go and recuperate. And Father Marin is sitting there. And of course, Damien Karras does say, you know, why now? Why this little girl? Why would it, why would it do this to this child? You know, this right. child's innocent. 
And um, so Father Karras does walk into the bedroom and um, does actually happen to see his mother sitting there, which is, once again, the demons trying to play on his emotion. He does take um, uh, Reagan's um, vitals and does listen to her heart and she, you know, Father Merrin does come into the room and he goes, oh, it's her heart. And he says to her, well, can you give her something? And she said, he goes, no, I can't because it'll put her into a coma if I do. And that's when the voice of his mother comes out and said, you know, why you do this to me, Dimmy? And he does say, you are not my mother. And just, you can see right there, he's lost it. He's broken down all emotion. And that's when Father Merrin says, get out, you know, and I have to start the ritual all over again. But I, now I've got to do it by myself. And this is something that's very, you know, I understand it from Merrin's point of view that we've got to get this this thing done. But you really need backup, man. You, you're so, I'm you're, surprised that they didn't call for another priest to come over from the rectory. Yeah, I was thinking that too. But I think it was basically, you know, uh, Merrin's last attempt at saving someone. And it's trying to help um, Father Karras rectify his his belief and his faith no and i get that but when he realized he had to kick karis out i don't know why he didn't call for another priest yeah um karis weakens after the demon impersonates his late mother and he is excused by Mirren, who continues the exorcism alone once he is has gathered his strength karis re-enters the room and discovers Mirren's dead of a heart attack because he was taking the nitroglycerin pills yep in the beginning of the movie and, and they, also when they took a break. Yeah. The nitroglycerin pills, what they do is they open up any any constricting blood vessels to the heart. So it's basically nitroglycerin. It yeah. basically bursts open any blood vessels to keep the heart with a with a decent amount of blood supply. But you can see that Marin is is on his last legs anyway. Yeah. So with everything that he's gone through, I can understand this was gonna do him in, unfortunately. Yeah. Um after he fails to revive Marin. The enraged Karis grabs a laughing Reagan and wrestles her to the ground. At Karis's invitation, the demon leaves Reagan's body and takes hold of Karis. So in this scene, she's sitting on the end of the bed and she's basically just giggling. And, you know, Father Karis is trying to revive Marin, as it was said. And he, he bangs on her on his chest to try, but he's, he's already dead. He's gone. Um, Reagan's laughing and he basically gives her the old, fuck you and grabs a hold of her and you hear the the growl of the demon you know and and does go to attack him again and he is beating the shit out of reagan like really laying into her and um he she pulls a medallion off of his of his neck and he does say come into me take me come into me and you you hear reagan start crying like a regular little girl and you see father karis's boy a face change into a demon's face and then at that moment it sort of like flickers off for a second and he does say no and he you see him jump out the window which when then he hits the ground and he goes all the way down the stairs but he doesn't kill himself he basically is so badly injured that he can't speak one of his friends the other priest does actually say do you want to do your last rites the only thing that the father Karras can do is move his hand a little bit so he actually moves his hand as if to say Yes, I do. You know, at that at that moment, um, in the final moments of strength and sacrifice, Karis throws himself out the window before he can harm Reagan because he does go towards her again. 
um, falling to his death down the set of stone steps and defeating the demon at last. Father Dyer, a friend of Karras's, happens to be on the scene and administers his last rites to Karras. And, of course, that's when you also see um, the inspector, because the inspector knocks on the door while the exorcism's going on, come into the room with Chris, who does see Reagan on the ground crying in the corner, saying, Mother, and you've got a dead priest on the ground, the broken window, and a blood-splattered um, Father Karras down the bottom of the steps with everything going on. So that was that part of the movie. Now, I always thought that um, it w- worked such that if the host body died, the demon could then just grab somebody else and go into them no you have to be it has to be invited ah and since nobody knows it's there it can't go anywhere so it just basically goes back to hell yeah so when father Karras says come into me it's basically take me come into me yeah welcome him him into his body yeah at that moment when he does transform and he sees reagan he does go to grab her and then says no when he throws himself out of the window and kills himself, the demon, as you said, goes back to hell. Until and waits for another Ouija board opening. Another Ouija board to open the the gateway. Um, to back. But okay, so in Catholicism, suicide is a sin. Yes. In that type of situation, would it still be a sin to kill himself? No, it's sacrifice. Oh, okay. He's uh, the priest is sacrificing himself for the good of his of uh, the person. Okay, to save others. Yeah, so it's not it's it would not be um, suicide. It would just be the saving. It was basically um, it's the same way as Jesus dying for our sins. It's him dying for Reagan. It's yeah, but that him. wasn't suicide in Jesus. No, no, no. But in that in that same regards, not the same situation. But he's he's killing himself to save Reagan. Yeah, yeah. A, f- okay. a few days later, Reagan, now back to her normal self, prepares to leave for Los Angeles with her mother. And the best part is she doesn't remember any of it. Although Reagan has no apparent recollection of her position, she is moved by the sight of Dyer's cler- uh, clerical collar to kiss him on the cheek. As the car pulls away, Chris tells the driver to stop, and she gives Father Dyer a medallion that belonged to Karis, because they, they found that in, yeah. the, in the bedroom. After they drive away, Dyer pauses at the top of the stone steps to give Reagan's window one last look, and then he turns and walks away. Now, just stop there for a second. The director's cut ending is completely different. So when Freak when Freakin recut this movie in 2000, a version of the film known as the version you've never seen or the extended director's cut was released. In the ending of, the, of this version, when Chris gives Karis' med- medallion to Dyer, Dyer places it back in her hand and suggests that she keeps it. After she and Reagan drive away, Dyer pauses at the top of the steps, stone steps before he walking away and coming across Kinderman, who narrowly misses Chris and Reagan's departure. Kinderman and Dyer begin to develop a friendship. They and he go, asks to him to go to the movies and he go says no, just like everybody else does because exactly. it's creepy. Exactly. <laughs> you think it's creepy because they... They're in, they're that was in weird. No, it's not weird. It's actually really it's nice. It's also really unprofessional. No, it's a really nice thing to do. It's weird. No. What do we usually do at the end of our usual thing? We usually give it a, a rating between zero to five movie reels. Zero being, where can I get the last two hours of my life back? To five being, I would watch it immediately again. So what would we give this, um, this one on uh, the home class movie chat? 3.75. 3.75. Yeah, you're not you're not precise at all. Yeah. Gee, that's actually pretty good. Well, oh, look, I'm going to give it I and I and it's very very hard for me to give it anything less than a 5. Really? 
Yeah, I love this movie. I think if if you get a chance to watch this movie, please watch it. Uh, watch it, and if you get a chance, watch it with the uh, commentary, the director's commentary. It is amazing. It adds a more a bit of more of a dynamic to the movie, and it gives it a little bit more in depth as far as what he was trying to do with the movie. Um, I've always enjoyed watching it. And, and as I said, I never thought that I'd ever sit there and watch it with a director's commentary. Um, but it, it's something that I, I, I recommend highly. Okay. So I'm going to give it a five. Alrighty then. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. Don't forget we are on all social media platforms. You can also find us at the home class at homeclassmoviechat.com and you can email us at hello at homeclassmoviechat.com. Follow us on all social media, everywhere you listen to uh, podcasts. And we would absolutely love it if you would rate the uh, episode and leave a comment and please tell your friends. Thank you so much and we'll see you at the movies. Thank you for joining us for the Home Class Movie Chat with Kat and Paul. Home Class Movie Chat is produced and edited by Create Your Change. If you would like to launch a podcast, please visit createyourchange.com.au. Please follow Home Class Movie Chat on social media and sign up for our newsletter at homeclassmoviechat.com so you can keep up with the latest news and promotions. We hope you enjoyed yourself today and will join us next time. If you did enjoy today's episode, please leave a review on the platform where you listen to this podcast. 